Thanks for joining us here on online at the Father's house. Uh, it's always great when you join in with us. I really believe I have a word from God for this moment, for this time. Uh, I can actually sense the presence of the Lord in ways that are really different, unique for such a time as we're going on. So uh, get ready. If you're there at home, we will receive communion together. So if you've brought your elements, uh, we'll bless them when we're finished and then we'll uh, just be able to all share together. The verse this morning that I'm going to start in is Luke chapter 22, verse 39 through 42. And coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives, and as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And when he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, he knelt down and prayed. And he said, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. It's just a great piece of scripture that talks about how he went into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray before he went to the cross. And it's dawned on me that one word, just one word that is rightly spoken, just one word with the right tone and tenor, one word in the right place can just alter everything that's going on. And I really believe there's a word in here that alters everything. As, as I think about it, have you ever read this one word? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. For scarcely a righteous man will die but God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, God, Christ died for us. Or there is no fear in love, but perfect love cast out all fear. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is my strength. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, but God has revealed it to them by his spirit. That, that one little word, but, that can change everything. See, one word spoken at the right place with the right tone and the right tenor can alter everything. I was listening to my grandsons. They were running around the other day, and one of them pushed the other one and fell down, and the other one jumped back up and went, oh, yeah? Come on, we all remember that, right? Oh, yeah? That, 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 that brought me back to this text. And, and it's interesting how just one word and here's Jesus in the midst of a garden, in the midst of the agony of what this evening is going to bring, in the middle of the night, and you can hear the army approaching, coming for him. And he, I'm sure he's thinking ahead about the thorns and the beating, the nails, the jeers and the sneers, the, just the pain and the shame of it. And, and he, he, he says, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. So many times in the midst of the moments in which we live, as we're looking forward just a step or two, we have to make a decision whether or not to allow the will of God to take place or whether not to. How to surrender to it or not to. And that one word, nevertheless, changes the entire destiny of humanity. It, it alters so many things. That word, nevertheless, or oh yeah, in spite of all of this, it can do so many things. It can pull down arguments. It can defeat the devil. It can comfort the downtrodden. Nevertheless, in spite of all of this, in spite of all that he was seeing, Jesus chooses the cross. Jesus chooses to go to the cross for you and me. He chooses us. And, and at that very moment, that one word, that one word makes us realize that no one's going to put him on the cross. 
He himself is going to surrender to it. He himself is going to recognize that this is the will of God. That in that one word, it lifts the veil and it gives us a picture behind the motivation of the coming of Christ. It gives us a picture about God's love for us and about the choice that Jesus makes right here in this garden. In the middle of a conditional world, all of a sudden, you can see and feel Jesus saying, Nevertheless, never, never, never will I leave nor forsake my children. Never will I leave them out. Never, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. That, that one evening, that one little word makes us look at so much of the scripture in a different way. In fact, you can hear the echoes of the Old Testament. You can hear the echoes of how David was sitting in Hebron and he was looking at Jerusalem and he realized it was time to move from here to Jerusalem. It was time to take the authority of the king and put it in that place. It was time for the kingdom of God to ascend into Jerusalem. And from that mountain, the word comes down and says, ah, and the inhabitants of that thing says, oh, listen, the lame and the blind can stop you, David. The weakest among you, you'll never be able to take the city. You'll never be able to take your kingdom and move it into that position. And David stops for a minute and he looks at that fortress and he looks at that city and goes, wait a minute. Nevertheless, I'll take that city. In spite of the odds, in spite of how it looks, in spite of the circumstances, in spite of your threatening at me, David, this poet, and this, this mighty warrior, this, this man, he, he looks up and he goes, no, wait a minute, I have a promise from God that my kingdom is going to be established in Jerusalem. And he takes that city. You can go through the history just a little bit. And remember, they had been in captivity and now they had been brought back. And the walls of Jerusalem had been burned. And Nehemiah gets a word from God. Nehemiah gets this word that once again, you build the walls around the city of Jerusalem. And you, you refortify that space that belongs to God. I mean, you can hear the echoes of Christ's voice through the history as the people begin to jeer Nehemiah. And right in the midst of this undertaking that he has, they start telling him, oh, you're too weak. You're too feeble. You can't do that. You can't even protect yourself. You have no resources. It's even futile to try to build the walls back around Jerusalem again. You see, every great undertaking, there will always be friends like Job had telling you, you can't do it. In the midst of every challenge, in the midst of every calling, there'll always be this chatter going on out there that says, you, 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 you can't do that. Listen, that's when Nehemiah says, nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God and we set a watch against them night and day. As you hear Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, nevertheless, all of a sudden, those neverthelesses that have taken place out throughout the history of Israel begin to take upon a new meaning. When you read down through the Psalms, particularly Psalm 106 and verse 1, it says, Praise the Lord, O give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. And then in the sixth verse of that Psalm, it says, We've sinned against our fathers. We've committed iniquity. We've done wickedly. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember the multitude of your mercies. And they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. What's he saying? They've all sinned. They've all messed up. They're no good. They've never paid attention to God. But right there in verse 8, it says, Nevertheless, 
He saved them for His name's sake. I mean, to recognize that God has always looked at us, and even though we were sinners, and even though we forgot, and even though we did this, and even though we did that, nevertheless, God's grace is not stopped by the misbehaviors of His children. That's why there's so many things going on in the world right now, and I hear them talking about how this is God's judgment, or God sent this plague. Can I just point you back to the Bible? The Bible says that even in spite of their sin, He saved them. In fact, that's what makes His grace so glorious, is that even in the midst of the challenge of our own misbehavior, God's grace breaks through the sin of humanity and picks us up out of that. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. We have to hear in the voice of Jesus going, in spite of the way they're going to treat me, in spite of the fact that they want to kill me, in spite of their... Nevertheless, God, your will be done. We're going to forgive these people. We're going to solve the issue of sin once and for all. We're going to solve the issue of death once and for all. We're going to have the final sacrifice. So, Father, not my will, but thine be done. Let's go forward. So you say, I can't come into the city. Watch this. So you say, I can't protect the city. Watch this. And so you say, yeah, but their sin is so great. Yes, but that's what makes the moment so fit for a miracle of God's saving power and of His grace is the fact that we are failures and we're weak and we don't even pay attention. And yet, nevertheless, I will save my people. You have to hear that. In the Garden of Gethsemane, so much of the Bible makes sense. In the Garden of Gethsemane, you begin to realize that God's been setting this up for generations. In Psalm 106, it says they forgot. And he goes, nevertheless, he saved them. And then if you keep going on down, you get to about verse 40 or something like that. And it goes, ah, they soon forgot his works. They didn't want his counsel. They lusted exceedingly. They tested the God in the desert. They envied Moses. They made a golden calf. They changed the glory and became like beasts. They forgot God, their Savior. They despised the pleasant land. They didn't believe his word. They murmured. They worshiped Baal. They provoked God to anger. They proved, provoked Moses. They learned the sins of the nations. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters. They shed innocent blood. Verse 44, nevertheless, he regarded their affliction. And when he heard their cry and remembered their sake, he remembered his covenant and relented according to his. In 44 verses, he forgives them again. He saves them. They mess up. He saves them again. We begin to hear the nevertheless, in spite of the misbehavior, in spite of the sin of the world, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. When you hear that word, nevertheless, I can see Jesus standing up in the face of the devil going, oh yeah, watch this. My love is greater than their sin. My love is greater than the death. My love is greater than your deception. We are living in a moment to where all the world is holding its breath. Will we die? Will this be the end? Is this the apocalypse now? Listen to me. This is a setup for God to say, nevertheless, in spite of the stupidity of humanity, in spite of the sin of humanity, God setting the stage to do another miraculous deliverance of His children. And that's you, and that's me, and that's you, and that's you. Because God chooses all of us. And He calls us His friend. Let me encourage you that when you hear Jesus say, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done, He is saying, God, your will, love them, forgive them, heal them, cause them once again to know that you're their father and that I'm their savior. That's what's going on in 2020. 
All we got to do is focus on the nevertheless. In spite of all this stuff, know that God is working for us, that God is completing His plan to fulfill His purposes in every one of our lives. That word, nevertheless, that word right there can alter the way we look at everything. You, 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 you can see so much of it down through the Scriptures. One of the stories that just has been over and over in my mind is how these two prophets, the old one and the young one, the, the old stuff and the new stuff, the, the ancient and the new. And you can, you can hear and sense Elisha walking behind Elijah. I mean, you can almost smell the rain in the air. You, you can almost feel the snow. Have you ever been in that time when you knew the climate was changing? Your bones, something happened. And, and you could sense it. You couldn't really see it, but you could sense it. And, and you're not sure what it is, but we're praying and we're waiting and we're listening. And you see, for those of us that live in some sort of a prophetic reality, we've sensed something. Come on. Listen to me. I'm talking to those of you that have some sort of spiritual thing. And you, you, you kind of have known. Listen, there's something up. There's some, for, for those of us in the church, come on, I've been saying for a year or so, something's happening. You could, I, I, in November of last year, I started saying change, change, change. There's this, you could feel it. Elisha could sense it. Even in the community of all these other prophets, Elisha began to say something. There, the wind's altering. Something's getting ready to happen with Elijah. There's, there's a transition taking place. And it, as you read through the scriptures, it, it looks as though Elijah has ignored Elisha. It, it, it kind of looks like they're afraid to look at each other in the eye. Come on, you ever been with somebody and you knew something was about to happen, but you didn't want to look at the other person in the eye because if you did, it would confirm the fact that something's about to happen. And, and, and Elijah turns to Elisha and says, you need to stay here. Elijah turns to Elisha and says, you, you, you just need to stay where you're at. You just need to be comfortable with where you, you followed me all these years, but stay put. And three different times, the old prophet said, Elisha, it's okay, man. You've been serving me all these years. You've been living for Jesus for 40 years. You've been going to church. Just, just stay there. Just stay in your home and watch the TV. Just, just, just stay there. Just stay safe, Elisha. And, and each time Elisha said, I ain't staying here. I have followed you this far. I'm going to follow you into the next place. I've been following you this far. I'm not. And the, old, the other prophets, haven't you heard? Haven't you heard the gossip? Elijah's going, something, things are changing. Haven't you heard? You, you may not want to follow him. You might get too close and you might get sucked up into whatever is going on too. You, you might not want to. Let's, let's. <laughs> I love this. And yet, he says, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not backing off. I, I've seen, and he follows the old prophet. Man, this is a time in, in, in 2020, stay focused. Don't stay back, stay focused. And, and the old prophet takes off his mantle and he slaps the water and the water parts and they cross over the water. And about that time, the wind begins to blow. You can feel that change coming suddenly as that whirlwind of change is taking place. And Elijah turns to the young prophet Elisha and says, okay, ask, ask me anything, ask me anything, go ahead, just ask and I'll do it for you. And Elisha says, give me a double portion, 
Interesting. Give me a double portion. I, I want twice as much as what's been in your life. I, I know that Elijah, you've done all these things and, and, and it's been wonderful up to this point, but I want a double anointing of what's been on your life. I want more than you've had. I, I want greater things than you've done. Just, just That's what I want. Twice as much. And the old prophet looks at him and says, you have asked for a hard thing. This is interesting because if you're Elisha, you've never heard those words come out of Elijah's mouth. I mean, Elijah blinded an army. Elijah closed up the heavens and it didn't rain. Elijah called fire down from heaven. He had never said, that was hard. I mean, I mean, he didn't even say it was hard to defeat Ahab. And all of a sudden, I'm asking for a double portion. And he goes, well, that's hard. You see, it's hard for anybody to ask for more than what their hero had. It's hard to believe that greater works will we do than that that Christ did. Christ, the one that said nevertheless. Christ, the one that did what he did. It's hard to ask the old prophet for more than what he has. And he goes, "Mm, Elisha, you've asked a hard thing. You've asked for increase. Can I tell you, I'm asking for increase. I'm asking the Lord for more souls. I'm asking the Lord for more healings. I'm asking the Lord for more of His Spirit. This is not a time to go underground and try to survive. This is a time as the whirlwinds are going, as the change is taking place, as Elijah is going up, this is the moment to believe God more than you've ever believed God and ask for something big. When's the last time we asked for something big? Is it harder for God to make a mouse or an elephant? It doesn't matter to God. Is it harder for Him to heal this or that? It isn't. It's up to us if we're willing to ask for something bigger than we've ever asked for before in the face of this thing that's trying to kill humanity ask for something more than you've ever asked before go ahead I'm daring you he said you've asked for a hard thing but if you stay focused on me if you keep your eyes on me If you keep your eyes on Jesus, if you don't look to what man is doing and man's not doing, if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, can I tell you, your trust can change everything. Nevertheless, in spite of all that's going on, keep your eyes on Christ because His mantle is about to fall on the church in a way it's never fallen. His mantle is about to come upon believers in a way it's never come on believers. His mantle is about to be left in the hands of His people. Ask. Don't ask to just survive. Ask for something bigger. Stay focused. Stay in faith. Stay in fellowship. Keep your eyes on Jesus because there's something about to take place that's going to be unprecedented. Yes, yes, yes. I hear it all the time. We're living in unprecedented times. Well, guess what? If it's unprecedented times, then there's an unprecedented anointing that's about to come upon the body of Christ. Don't listen to it. I heard someone there that said, well, we're trying to teach our people how to be comfortable at home. I'm trying to teach you how to receive the power of the Holy Spirit so that you don't have to remain stuck. Oh, my Lord. Listen, the future is not unknown. The future is not unknown. Great are the plans that God has for us. We don't have to worry about those things. We have to keep our eyes. This is that moment to ask for something extraordinary. This is that moment. And the mantle falls. Some of you are going, I don't know this story. Well, go read it. It's in 2 Kings. You can go read it. You can pick up your Bible. You're home. You're stuck. You don't have to watch another Netflix movie. You can read the Bible from front to beginning. You can probably do it in a couple days. 
and the mantle, the whirlwind took place, and Elijah left. Times changed. That normal was gone. There's a new normal coming. We act like, when are we going to get back to normal? Who wants to get back to Elijah? Elisha does twice as much as Elijah ever did. Who wants, to, who wants the old? I want the new thing that God's doing. And the mantle comes floating down. And it, just, it comes floating down. Here's the moment of real truth. Is to believe you're a seed. Is to believe it's yours. Is to pick the mantle up. To look into heaven and strike the river again. And say, where's the God of Elijah? You see, it's easy to believe that God would use Elijah. It's easy to believe that God would use Peter, James, and John. It's easy to believe that Jesus... But it's harder to believe that God takes His Spirit and puts it on you and puts it on me. And we need to pick up the mantle of the Holy Spirit and strike those things that need to be struck and watch God do something miraculous in our generation and in our life today in 2020 if we'll just focus on the fact that God wants to answer hard questions. He wants to give us the miraculous. Yeah, it's hard. Solomon asks for wisdom. Jabez asks for a blessing. Caleb asks for another mountain. Elisha asks for a double portion. Come on. Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples. He did not ask them, what do you believe? What are you going to do? No, no, no. He looked at them and said, what do you want? What do you want? You got to realize that everything in the old is a shadow of the new. And, and Jesus looks at us and he, he says, what do you want from me? Come on, church, what do we want from God? We don't want Him just to stop the virus. We want Him to give us a double portion of His anointing that we can stop every disease, that we can alter every issue that's coming against us. We want God's presence so that we don't just live in fear of this disease, but that we never live in fear again. That the love of God, hallelujah. You see, we are whatever you want. You are not the person you think you are. You are not determined by your thoughts. You're determined by your loves. You're determined by what you want. You're determined by your desires. God gives us these desires. And Elisha desired that anointing that was in Elijah's life. He wanted that. What do you want? I want Jesus. I want the spirit of the living God. The God that loves me. I want him to... <sighs> Listen, you've nev I've never had to apologize to God for asking him for something. I've never once had him say, oh, you can't ask for that. Not one time. In fact, he says, boldly come to the throne of grace and ask me for help in your time of need. This is a moment for the church to get bold about what they're asking for and to pick that mantle up and believe that God wants to do something new in our lives. Nevertheless, nevertheless, you've asked a hard thing. But if you can stay focused, if you can stay focused on Jesus, watch this. Wow. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. That little statement right before he goes to the cross reveals so much about the whole Bible. It begins to get me excited. There were these folks that said, nevertheless, 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 I'm going to take that city. Nevertheless, I'm going to build that wall. Nevertheless, I'm going to ask for a double portion. Nevertheless. And then it brings me down to Maybe my final story, in conclusion, maybe. And I, we're sitting on a boat. We're out in the Galilee. We've fished all night, and we've caught nothing. 
and now we're cleaning our nets and we're going to go home and we're going to sleep in the daytime and tonight we're going to come back out and we're just sitting in our boat cleaning our nets. We're just, we're just seated at home, staying safe and we're just cleaning our nets. We're just, we're just, this hasn't worked. So we're just stuck. And we're sitting there and, and, and after this long fruitless night and we're, we're just kind of just doing our thing and suddenly there's this guy and he just appears, kind of a rabbi kind of guy, nobody, and he's talking and he, he says, can I, can I get in your boat? And sure, and they get in the boat and they float out and he's not really talking to them, he's talking to the crowd. And they're floating out a little bit and he's not talking to you and Peter doesn't know who he is, you've never seen him before. And, and this, this carpenter wannabe rabbi, he stops speaking to the crowd and he speaks to you. And he said, Simon, go drift out a little further. Launch out a little further. Get a little further away from the shore. And I drift out a little further. He said, now let down your nets for a catch. Church, hello, let down your nets. You, you haven't caught anything in years. Hasn't been a great revival in years. You've just been moving people from this church to that church because they had a better television than that one and they just had a better coffee bar. There hasn't been a lot of church growth going on. You've just been shuffling from this to that. Wait a minute. Let down your nets. And Peter goes, Ah, Master, we've toiled all night. We've caught nothing. We've been working hard, really have It's the same percentage of people going to church in America that's been going to church ever since I've been pastor. It's the same percentage. It hasn't changed much. I don't care how they, what they tell you. And he said, we haven't done anything. Nevertheless, at your word, we'll let down our net. Now listen to me. You know the story. When God gives a word, what's your response? God's word makes no sense. To, to, to throw the net over, it's gotten warm now, it's too hot now, nothing's going to, we, we know what we're doing, you don't know what we're doing, it makes no rational sense to throw the nets over. So they don't throw the nets over, they just kind of humor the would-be rabbi. They humor him, and they throw one little old net out, maybe the old net, and they throw it out, and all of a sudden the net begins to break, and all of a sudden they realize they should have thrown the nets out, that God wants to do more than you can imagine. Just nevertheless, at thy word. Sometimes we haphazardly say, nevertheless. And then we throw out the net and there's more than we've ever imagined. And suddenly the nets were too big and they were caught. Can I tell you, God's going to reel in some nets. There's a catch coming. Church, wake up. This is the moment to understand that just as God said, nevertheless, it's time for us to stop looking at the challenges of the world, to stop looking at this moment. Church, get ready to be astonished. There's going to be hundreds of thousands of people that not only are saved from COVID, but they're saved to Jesus. God's wanting us to stop cleaning our nets and start throwing them overboard. God wants us to stop sitting around on our hands, pastors. This is a time to go all out. This is a time to give the message of God's good news that he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. See, you're going to need other people to pull this one in. You're going to need help to, to receive the generosity of God in this moment. You see, there, there are no miracles without challenges. But in the face of the challenges, we can expect miracles to take place. You should use every 
Listen, I'm using every available tool, and maybe this old church in Kansas doesn't have a lot of them, but I'm using everything I got, because this is the moment that we're going to watch. The mantles of Elijah. We're going to watch the power of God move to bring people into Christ, to bring them out of bondage, to bring them into the midst of the kingdom of God. This is the moment to trust God. Will you pay attention to the man that has stepped into your boat? Will you pay attention into the Jesus that you let in the boat a long time ago, but you just kept cleaning your nets? Come on, Christian. You, you, you let Jesus in, but you just kind of kept... Now, the question I have for you today is, are you going to pick up that mantle? The question I have for you today is, are you going to let down that net? The, the question I have for you today is what Christ had already said to them. He told them the story about the woman that was praying, and she just kept coming and and he said, nevertheless, will the Son of Man find faith when he returns? The question today is, are we going to live in faith or fear? The question is, is are we going to thank God for this moment? Or are we going to go, oh my God, for this moment? The question is, do we have the ability to say, nevertheless, in spite of, oh yeah, watch this. God's wanting to do miraculous things in your life, in my life, in, in the life of Christianity, or not only in America, but around the world. And this is that moment. This is that moment. I'm not just giving you some mamby-pamby hope that we're going to make it through this. I'm trying to get you to have hope. Not only are we going to make it through it, but we're going to be bigger and better and larger. And there's going to be a new normal. And the new normal is going to be Elisha with a double portion doing twice as much as they ever did before. That's the prayer. Ask for that. That's the, come on, come on, come on. Jesus is looking at him. And he goes, you know, I'm going to have to go away. I'm going to have to go away, but, but it's to your advantage. Or nevertheless, when I go away, the Holy Spirit is coming. It's the same story as Elisha. When I go away, when you can't see me, when you can't see me, then there is a mantle, there's a presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, and you'll be endued with power that you can continue the ministry of Jesus in our lifetime in even a greater way. That we can drop the nets. We can split the seas. We, we can... <sighs> Nevertheless. So I don't know what you're facing. You may say, Pastor, you, you don't know what I'm facing. I, I've had... Well, maybe not. Maybe not. I will tell you the coronavirus has leveled the field somewhat. I will tell you that though there are different sufferings going on, there are sufferings all over the world. I was on Zoom today with over 20 bishops around the world. No. What we're looking at doesn't look good, but can I tell you, nevertheless, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit is working on our lives and in our lives to accomplish great things. The question I have for you today is will you ask the hard thing? Will you pick up the mantle? Will you let down the net? Will you receive the power of the Holy Spirit in your life today to accomplish even greater things than has ever been accomplished? That's the question. This is not a day to question the work or the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a day to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the day to receive that mantle. This is the day to receive that catch. This is the day to rise up and be the children of God. That's this day. So don't hide behind this thing. Step forward and know that God is doing something new, something brand new, something never been seen before. This is that moment. Can I pray with you? Can I pray with you right now? Father, I pray right now that they'd ask for the hardest thing they've ever asked for, that they'd believe for the biggest thing they've ever asked for, that they'd stay focused on you, that they'd pick up that mantle, they'd let down those nets, that they would receive the power of the Holy Spirit, 
that, Father, you'd baptize them, you'd fill them, you'd overwhelm them with the presence and the power of God because it's the power of God that brought them out of the upper room. It's the power of God that brought them into the streets. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that broke the stay-at-home order and brought them back out declaring the mighty wonders of God. Listen to me. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, you better stay at home. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, we will be able to run into the streets and bring the presence of God into the life of every human being. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for that person watching me on their app. I pray for that person watching me on their, their iPad. I pray for the person that, that's watching me wherever, whenever, whether it's this week or whether it's two months from now. That, Lord Jesus, that give their heart to you, that open their life to you to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And that, Lord, that pick up that mantle, that let down that net, that they'd walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I was telling one of my pastors just last night that sometimes I get up here and I, I realize I'm not very production-oriented. I'm just really not, that I have to have some sort of sense that there's a prophetic word. I have to have some sort of sense that God, and I really believe I'm bringing you a prophetic word. I really believe that God is wanting you to stand up and say, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Nevertheless, this isn't what I had planned for 2020. This isn't what I had planned for this year. This isn't what I saw going on. Nevertheless, God, not my will, but thine be done. Drop your mantle into our lives and let us fulfill the calling that's on our lives. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.